welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is episode number 334, and our guest is Douglas Bose. As you will hear, Doug was a previous guest back in episode 115, which was four years ago. Doug is a do-it-yourself, everyday regular hunter who's extremely passionate about bear hunting in particular, and he's even wrote a couple of books, one being The Ultimate Guide to Black Bear Hunting, another being No Bait, Just Bears. You can find links to both of those books in the show description if you're interested. Today we speak with Doug about tactics and strategies for spring bear hunting, the differences between fall and spring bear hunting, the barriers and tips for brand new bear hunters, and much more. Before we dive into those tips and tactics, Doug and I talk a bit about what has been going on recently in the state of Washington with their spring bear season, which is being contested, and it's been a months-long process back and forth to determine whether they will or will not have a spring bear season this year. And unfortunately, since Doug and I talked, and also just before I'm recording this introduction, it looks like what appears to be the final verdict has come through and there will be no spring bear season in Washington. I know that we have listeners all over the country and all over the world for that matter, and I just want to encourage all of us, as we talk about in this conversation, to make sure that we're staying tuned staying informed, making our voice heard, and standing up for hunting, conservation, science, and logic. And so again, this isn't all about this issue, but I want to highlight the importance of this issue and make sure that we are calling out ourselves as hunters to play our part. All right, guys, let's get into this conversation with Douglas. Once again, if you want to learn more about black bear hunting, I would suggest his resources, including his books, which you can check out in the show description below. But right now, let's dive into this conversation. Doug, welcome. I should say welcome back to the Hunt Back Country podcast. How are you, man? Good. Thank you. I appreciate you having me back. Yeah, it's actually, uh, we were chatting here just within the last couple of weeks and I knew we had you on the show prior, but I had no idea it had been four stinking years, which is crazy. I think you were one of the first podcasts I was, I had been on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I looked it up. So it's episode 115. Uh, and it was actually almost exactly four years ago, uh, like to this month, which is pretty wild. So for folks who weren't listening four years ago, which is probably quite a few folks, uh, or who may not be familiar with you, go ahead and give us a quick introduction, personal background. Well, my name is Douglas Bose. I'm the author of a couple of books and various outdoor articles, but uh, my two main books are No Bait, Just Bears, which is a black bear hunting book, and The Ultimate Guide to Black Bear Hunting, which is also a black bear hunting book. Um, I was born and raised in Washington, been hunting since I was about 12. I'm 46 now and been hunting black bears since my late twenties, um, hunted for 10 years plus before I wrote the book, uh, books. And, um, yeah, I just enjoy the outdoors. I'm a regular family man, you know, nothing, nothing extravagant. Um, just a middle-class family guy who likes to go out hunting like the rest of you probably. So, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, we, uh, we have a variety of topics we can hit today. Um, and we put out something on Instagram kind of to get a feel for what listeners wanted to hear. Obviously it's a, a good time of year to be talking about bear hunting with, uh, several spring bear seasons coming here pretty quick. Um, 
one of the things I wanted to talk about is what's changed in the last four years, like since we've chatted. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of that has been uh, attacks against some bear hunts. And even here just super recently, um, there's been states, Washington's, you know, kind of been prominent for uh, their spring bear hunting opportunities and ongoing efforts to keep those open by hunters. And I know that you've been uh, involved with those quite a bit, but I'm also sure that many listeners may have no idea what's going on. Um, we have guys all over the country and in other countries, and even for folks who aren't bear hunters or may not be yet, you know, these movements to close seasons on bear hunting can obviously cascade into other things. And so I did, I did want to talk about it a bit. Um, but can you just kind of give us from your perspective anyway, like a high level of some of what is kind of, you know, at risk and where movements are to close bear hunts and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a podcast all in itself, but I'll, yeah. I'll do the condensed version. Right. So, you know, the humane society of the United States, they're behind a lot of these closure attempts, um, whether, whether they're doing it out in the open or kind of behind closed doors through other channels to my belief. And you might be a deer hunter and that's all you hunt, or you might be an elk hunter and that's, you know, all you really care about. You don't care about bear hunting. But the, the point I want to make here is, is the humane society and other anti-hunting groups, um, you know, they're, they're going after predator hunting first and foremost, because it's an easy fruit to pick off the tree. It's something that they can, they can tug at people's heartstrings at, you know, you, everyone had a teddy bear growing up. And so predator hunting is kind of an easy thing to get rid of. And so once they do that, then they'll work on closure of other seasons. And so it's important if you're a deer hunter or an elk hunter or whatever it may be that you support, um, other hunters, their seasons and methods of take regardless, because these anti-hunting groups, they don't, they don't care about the different methods of take or even the animal. They just want to get rid of hunting in general, period. As you can see in, in British Columbia, British Columbia got rid of uh, grizzly bear hunting a couple of years back. Um, and now just the, this very week, I think they are trying to get rid of moose and caribou hunting in the Northeast section of BC which eventually that will fall throughout the entire province. Um, so, yeah, you know, Washington has had its issues with the spring bear permit. California so far this year has had issues uh, with the uh, Humane Society trying to close down black bear hunting in its entirety. Um, they will kind of cherry pick data or claim that climate change is the problem, um, things of that nature. You know, in, in Washington, it kind of started out as, if you haven't been following it, there was a vote to continue spring bear hunting. So every year they would just change the number of the year. So from 2020, they would change it to 2021, and then you would have your season. And they might change a couple of permit numbers or something to that effect. But that's what was happening in Washington. They were changing it, updating the year, and they're uh, lessening a couple of permits in one game management unit and doing some rewording for uh, just to make it easier for the hunter to understand what his obligations were when he turned in his hide or a skull. Nothing major. Well, this was being voted on by a commission, and the commission is appointed by the governor. And 
the commission wasn't a full commission. We were supposed to have nine. I think we only had eight. So it was a four, four split on a four, four split vote for yes, for no, it automatically does not continue. So as goofy as that sounds and something as silly as, Hey, I'm just trying to update the year. The entire season got canceled um, because of that split. So then meat eater and um, sports Alliance and uh, Backcountry uh, hunters and anglers, and a few other organizations put out a legal petition to um, ask the commission to uh, basically revote to make it to where you didn't have to update the year every year, and um, and to outline. Basically, that was it. Just to not have to update the year after year. I mean, it's, it just makes it more streamlined. It makes it more efficient. But we all know that the government does, doesn't like to run more efficiently. Um, but they, they did accept the petition. Um, barely. They had uh, one of the no votes resign prior to that petition being submitted to the commission. But long and short of it is that passed. So now the spring bear season in Washington isn't instated yet. We'll find out this weekend if they go for it. But then once that petition, the one that was submitted by mediator and so on was accepted, they had to restart the rule process. So then they had to get, you know, public comment and all this other stuff, uh, get that going. Um, so we'll find out this weekend how, how the vote goes. Um, we do have a full commission now, but, you know, we have a, a couple of very obvious anti-hunter people on the commission. Um, we have some, some good um, pro-hunting representation there too, but um, it's really just kind of touch and go. Um, but I guess the point of this, this conversation is, is I really want to encourage hunters to be vocal to pay attention to what's going on in their states and realize like, Hey, they might be after bear season this time in my state or hound hunting or whatever it might be, but they're coming for your deer season. They're coming for, um, you know, trail cameras. They're coming for baiting for deer, that type of stuff. So we, as hunters, we got to get together and band together and just um, be vocal and be active in, in these situations. I, you know, as a part of this, we can use this specific process or uh, issue in Washington that's been ongoing now. You know, you mentioned petition and things like that, and I've I've signed those petitions personally. At the same time, I've been curious: are those helpful? So, and what I mean by that is, do states and obviously this is a generality; we can't speak for every instance. But do you feel like in this instance, again, with your limited perspective, but you have been uh, somewhat involved with this, do you feel that non-resident individuals speaking up, whether that's by signing a petition or contacting state commissions, state legislators, et cetera, is that helpful? Do they listen when it's actually a non-resident or is that immediately like, ah, I'm glad you got 8,000 signatures on this petition or whatever, but you know, only a thousand of those actually came from Washington residents and that's all we care about. Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a good question. Um, and I should point out that the petition that was submitted to the commission that I was referring to, that was uh, signed by Sport Alliance and Mediator, blah, blah, blah. That was a legal petition um, that they had to pay attention to. They have 60 days to take a look at any petition that people submit to them. It was a legal petition. It was not a petition from like change.org where, you know, anybody can sign whatever. But I do think that those change.org type petitions um, do carry some weight 
Uh, I don't know how much weight they, you know, carry on this commission. Um, but I also know, like, during the public comment period for Spring Bear in Washington, there were obvious um, people who were out of state, even out of country. We had people speaking German on there and then obvious spellings from, from Britain. Um, and, you know, the Humane Society, again, they don't really care about state borders either. So if they can get their base going from nationwide and say, hey, go leave comments um, against hunting on whatever petition or whatever uh, public comment area it might be, they will send those people there. And mm. I would encourage hunters nationwide to uh, support any sort of hunting um, uh, petition or comment period that you can. And, and a great way to do that is through howl.org as well. So howl.org kind of came up in, in January that I'm aware of, and they just make it super easy to you can just hop onto their website or even on Instagram and take a look. But it's you fill in your first, your last name, your email, and then there's action items that you can just click on and it automatically emails uh, a bunch of decision makers for that action item. Um, and, you know, I, I don't work for them. I'm not represented. I'm not a representative of theirs or anything like that, but it, it has been very, very helpful and very quick and easy for hunters to be able to voice um, support in those situations, regardless of the state that you're in. And even, even, um, regardless of the nation. So they just opened up one for Canada and you're able to submit there. Now, going back to your point, there are some States that require that you give them your address or that you are from that state. But like Washington, I know apparently isn't one of them because everybody and their mother can comment on and multiple times they can come in as many times as they want on those public comment um, sections. Um, and so also, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So lots of times Anna hunters there, they may not be the majority, but they are definitely the majority when it comes to screaming and yelling mm -hmm. and making noise. And I'm not advocating people to scream and yell, but I'm advocating people to be active and email legislatures, people who are in charge, decision makers at the Department of Fish and Wildlife um, to get their attention to say, hey, you know, we don't support this rule or we do support this rule. So good stuff. It's important for me to always in these conversations come back to, you know, we've talked about the anti-hunters, right? The calm extremists, if you will. But to remember that at the big picture, while those folks will continue to have their agenda, what can often be at stake and be helpful as hunters is to make sure that we're winning or at least have the support of the non-hunters. And by that, I don't mean the anti-hunters, but the people in the middle, right? Like I think of family members I have who don't hunt. If they only hear things by these extreme anti-hunters, they're going to have a bad opinion of hunting. They don't understand hunting. They don't see the positive. And so to me, that's another thing that always comes up in these discussions is, yes, how are we being vocal? How are we, you know, petitioning legislatures, et cetera. But it's, it's really practical too, of how are we as hunters representing hunting, not only amongst our tribe, but amongst the public and in particular, the people in the middle who, again, maybe don't understand hunting, don't have experience with hunting. They're not necessarily anti-hunting. They're just the non-hunting middle. Cause honestly, that's where the, 
if we just look at pure numbers, that's where the majority of people are. And so we need to make sure that we're uh, winning those folks over, at least representing hunting in a positive way for those numbers. 100%. I mean, I, I always make an effort when I'm out hiking or hunting or whatever, or I, I should say when I'm out hunting and I run into hikers, that I give them, you know, space on the trail. And if they ask, you know, what I'm hunting, I explain it to them. And, and lots of times that's bare because that's kind of where I run into a lot of hikers on occasion. Um, but I explain like right away, I'm like, Hey, a lot of people don't realize we have to take the meat. You know, it's, it's a wanton waste. If you don't, I personally enjoy the meat. And, and a lot of them are surprised. They're like, Oh, we just thought you took the hides. And that's a great misconception um, in a lot of States and through a lot of non-hunting public, they think that uh, hunters, you know, just shoot a bear and take the hide and leave the rest to rot. And that's not true. And, you know, there's a lot of non-hunting public that I think are, are not necessarily against hunting or for hunting, but they understand and can appreciate people trying to live in a sustainable manner through free range, non-hormone type of, uh, organic meat. Um, and hunting is a good way to do that. And I think if we showcase that in a, in a polite and honest manner, I think we can win over a lot of the non-hunting public. They may not turn into hunters, but they might accept, Hey, you know, this guy is no different than me going to the grocery store and, and wanting, um, organic, no hormone, non-hormone meat. Um, he's just going out and trying to earn it or she, you know, there's a lot of female hunters out there too, which is great. Another, I, I feel like anyway, from the trying to take an outside perspective and talking with podcast listeners. I feel like in the last four years since we spoke, just to highlight that time frame, I feel like there has been more interest in bear hunting. Uh, I even personally know guys who right now are planning their first Western hunt and it's a bear hunt. And I don't know if like you saw as much of that, you know, five years ago, it was more elk and deer and there's plenty of guys doing that, but I feel like there are among hunters, at least more interest in, in bear hunting. And so part of what we wanted to talk about was some of the tactical stuff, practical stuff, uh, many things I'm sure that are in your book. Um, and, uh, and a lot of this category, these questions we'll be talking about again, came from listeners who, who submitted these questions, but super broad, super high level, but just what comes to mind for you in terms of barriers for people who may be new to bear hunting. I think the biggest barriers for people who are new to bear hunting is just their general inexperience and what to look for and where to look for, where to look for it. And, you know, obviously my book will help with that, but I'm happy to help here too, you know? So every state is kind of different. Um, and even within a state, it's different. So like, it's different for me to find bear in Western Washington than it is in Eastern Washington. Western Washington is very thick with brush and, and mature tree stands and things like that. Eastern Washington is more arid, more desert-like, more open in spots. But the, the process is still kind of the same. Kind of no matter where you go, no matter where you're going to bear hunt, provided you're not hunting over bait or with hounds, which I, I can't do in this state, you want to find the food source that they are focusing on for that time of year. And the food source can vary 
um, from month to month and sometimes week to week. So it's a matter of, of knowing what bear are eating at that time of year. Um, and I, I, I think that that is probably the, the hardest thing for beginning bear hunters to figure out is what exactly are they eating and, and when and where. So for the sake of this, to, to go deeper into that, talk about spring bear hunting, at least initially here. And as they come out, um, and begin to get active, snow starting to melt. Can you talk about maybe some of their first food sources of spring and then how that transitions into later spring, um, and understanding not necessarily when, cause you said it, it depends, it can change week to week. It can change based on conditions, but kind of the cycle of how food sources may change, at least for some examples of certain areas throughout spring and early summer. Absolutely. So, you know, in the spring, the first thing that comes up is, is fresh shoots, green grass, that type of stuff. So if I have an early spring bear tag and, and granted in our state, it's a special draw. I've only had it a couple of times, but if I was going to Idaho or anywhere else, I would be looking for um, sunlit areas that are getting hit the most with the sun. So shoots will come up first. Um, you know, lots of times old log and road cuts are a great little source for that because they're through a timber stand or something, but the sides of the roads are getting hit with, with sun and, you know, there's cover on the side of the road where the bear can jump in and out and easily eat grass and, and feel safe. Um, so in early spring, I'm looking for, for greenery. Um, could be wild onions. It could be any sort of green that's popping up a skunk cabbage. Um, and if you don't know what that is in, in, in Washington, it looks like a real broad leaf, almost two, three foot long at, at times and about a foot across or more. And you hit it with a stick and it stinks like a skunk, but bear tend to eat that stuff. Um, so greenery comes in first. And then um, shortly after in, in, in Washington, at least, um, they will start to peel trees. And so that's part of the reason we have a spring bear hunt is to help alleviate that timber damage. So they will peel trees that are five, 10 years old. I always tell people make a C shape out of each of your hands, put them together and then spread that out a couple of inches. And that's about the size of the tree that you want to be looking for. Maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little smaller, but they will be stripping that bark off the trees and they eat that cambium layer. And what is in that cambium layer um, in the winter, that, that sap of the tree goes down to the roots. And as things heat up, that sugary sap comes up from the roots into that cambium layer and starts to nourish that tree again. And the bear, they'll strip that bark, eat that cambium layer because it's a sugary, starchy calorie um, available this time of year. And they'll strip those trees and kill that tree. And so as you're walking along, there's, there's picture examples of this in the book too, but as you're walking along, you will find um, along roads or, or in timber stands or whatever, these trees that are, that are stripped out. Um, and I always keep an eye out while I'm hiking or whatever, if I see a bright red tree that's dead and then, you know, some yellow off yellow trees that are dying. Um, those are kind of clues to me that, Hey, there was some spring bear damage in this area. And I'll, at least in previous years, and I will focus, uh, my search in those areas. Um, and then as, as spring continues, you know, fawns will start to drop and calves will start to drop. Um, and so predator calling 
can be very handy if you're if you're not having luck or if you're looking at a real thick area or a real broad area where you might not necessarily want to put your scent all the way through everything take a take an hour and a half and and sit there and predator call for an hour and, and then hang around and see if something shows up afterwards predator calling is a very um uh good tool to have in your in your repertoire and, and bear hunting um and so shortly thereafter too the bear rut kind of pops up um in, in late spring the bear rut starts to happen and so male boars they'll be scanning looking for sows um walking a lot walking a lot of logging roads uh they they like the path of least resistance lots of times kind of like us um you know, if you're walking the logging road, you're burning a lot less calories than you are going up and down hills or through brush and bear realize that I think, or maybe not realize it, but they, they definitely tend to favor it. Um, and so they'll be searching for those sows. And so that's a, a, a good time to sit in glass, um, wide open areas or, you know, areas that have, that you can spot in at least and search for boars looking for sows. Um, and, and pretty soon after that, at least some sort of berry will start to show up. But, um, for spring bear hunting, that's, that's what I'm looking for. The, that early greenery trees, and then the rut and, uh, predator calling with calf or, or deer fawn distress. It sounds like you can be effective in any of those calm phases, if you will. Uh, do you personally have a favorite? A favorite call? Uh, sorry, a favorite like portion of the spring into early summer, like that favorite, you know, time to hunt for you. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of like it all. I, I, I prefer, I prefer probably end of April, um, for spring bear. And so the, the thing with spring bear too, is like, and I saw other questions about this too, but they have really, really nice hides in the spring. Um, but you got to get them before they really start rubbing them out. So when I say rubbing them out they're you know, they have a full winter coat that they've had in their den all winter. And in the spring, they still have that. They haven't gotten rid of it yet, but they're, they're going to start to get hot and they're going to start to rub and, and, um, get that, uh, fur rubbed off. Um, so the earlier in the spring, you can find a bear, uh, and take it provided a hide, provided that a hide is important to you. Um, the nicer the hide will be. So it'll be nice and thick. Um, and with that, you want to take a little bit of time to make sure that if a hide is important to you, that it's not rubbed out on one side and not the other. You want to give it a little bit of time. But um, yeah, I like the beginning of May into April. That seems to be kind of nice. And, and But again, this also depends on the territory that you're hunting. Um, you know, some places are snowed out for a while and you can't get into them till couple of weeks in, in May. Um, and that goes for Washington too. There's lots of spots where, you know, it, it's open for spring bear hunting, but you're not going to get up there because it's, it's covered in snow. Yeah. To elaborate a little bit more on spring versus fall, uh, you mentioned hides and we had, uh, questions on that, you know, which, which season's better for hides and also which season's better for meat. Um, so you mentioned a bit on the hides, what about spring versus fall hunting in general? Uh, and then specifically also any differences in quality of meat for black bear hunting? The earlier in the spring you get a bear, the nicer the hide. The later in the fall you get a bear, the nicer the hide. And that just goes because he's, he's he or she, they're building their winter coat. Um, so 
you know, if you get a bear in August, it's not going to be as nice as what you would get in September or um, in Washington. November 15th is our last day for bear hunting. So I always try to get it as late as I can um, if you want a nice hide. So that's kind of the difference between the two as far as hide goes. As far as meat goes, I haven't really noticed a difference in, in the meat. Now in the spring, they're eating, at least where I am, they're eating grasses and, you know, that cambium layer. They're tearing into stumps, that type of stuff in the spring. In the fall, they're focused much more on berries locally. Um, and so there's been times, you know, I, I always cut open a bear's stomach to see what it's eating because that will give me clues about, you know, its food source for that area, um, just for my own knowledge. Um, and, and I'll check it out. And I've cut open bear stomachs in the fall and it looks just like a berry pie. I mean, it literally looks like <clears throat> you could put some ice cream in there and, and have a berry pie. I mean, that's, it's that, and it smells like it too. It's, it's insane, but obviously I don't do that. That's kind of weird, but still it, that's how good it looks. Um, but I haven't noticed any difference in the meat. Um, now up in Alaska, they might have a different situation where, you know, the bear are getting into, uh, spawned out salmon and they might be tasting kind of nasty after that. But locally, I haven't noticed any difference meat wise. Backing up again to targeting, locating bears, talked about food sources, how that dictates things. Um, for guys who are newer and just looking to pick out areas, we had several questions on e-scouting. Um, and we can keep this in the context of spring as well. Can you talk about any types of specific topography that you may target? So, you know, topography features, things like benches, saddles, et cetera. You mentioned earlier, kind of the path of least resistance, maybe that comes into play. Um, and then, you know, just to elaborate on, we've already mentioned a bit, but cover as well as then exposure, especially for those earlier spring hunts is obviously going to matter of looking at where is there going to be uh sunlight therefore greenery etc so ties into what we discussed but kind of talk about e-scouting in general a bit and, and relate that for folks so e-scouting is a great tool but it doesn't really beat boots on the ground but it can kind of get you you know close um actually my 2009 spring bear i i got through e-scouting in, in a sense um I was hiking along and I, I happened to find some bear sign. And then uh, I started to go into the brush and it was super thick. I could only see, you know, maybe a couple of yards, if that. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll back out. And I was near the end of the day anyway. So then I came home and this was back before Onyx or anything. So I looked at Google Earth and I noticed like where I was hunting, that was thick brush, but you could see little teeny pockets. And then in this half mile, or so long area, there was a real long strip of what looked like open ground in the center of it. And I thought, well, that might be kind of cool. I'll go check that out. And so when I went back there, um, what had happened is, is that the bear had, had, had throughout the years stripped trees and then opened up little pockets in this brush. And as the trees died, these, these pockets just kind of opened up. They're little patches of grass. And then in the center, it was kind of a little swampy area. And in my book, I kind of referred to this place as Paradise. Um, and I ended up taking a boar out of there uh, in 2009. He was eaten in that big, long, um, swampy area. But I might not have even seen that area if I hadn't Google Earthed it and, and, and looked at it. 
so that's kind of an example of, of um, e-scouting being beneficial. Um, as far as areas and stuff that I look for, you know, bear like to travel along ridge lines and benches and stuff like that. It's, it's easier for them to dive off to one side or the other. Um, a lot of my e-scouting, honestly, I don't necessarily look for um, elevation and stuff like that. I'm more looking for tree lines and, and fresh cuts and, and, and uh, brush locally um, for me. So, you know, there's areas change throughout the years, um, sometimes faster than others. Um, you know, that area that I referred to as paradise, a lot of area around that has been clear cut. Some of it is brand new, fresh clear cut. Some of it's kind of older and it's, and it's grown up, but it's, it's changed. And therefore the bear habitat has changed and I need to adapt to that. And so sometimes I will go back and I will look through the years of the uh, online e-scouting ability. And you can see the different changes in the topography or the, the um, plants that are there the tree stands and and whatnot or see what's come in see what's disappeared so i will use that sometimes um as far as sunshine um like we had talked about you know as slope wise i would i would focus on southern facing slopes um getting the most sun um and and but really you know boots on the ground is is what's going to pay dividends um, there's lots of times you can look at an area and think, oh, that's not so bad. That hike ain't so bad. And then you get in there and it's like torturous. Um, you know, uh, Stevens, or excuse me, Snoqualmie Pass was kind of famous for that. When I was first starting out, I would look at that hillside and I think, oh, that's, that's not bad. And then I'd head over there and it would be, you know, 13 foot tall devil's club and, and <laughs> vine maple. And it was like impossible to even get through. And online, it looked that way too. You know, e-scouting, it looked didn't look that bad. But once you got in it, you realize this is torturous. So e-scouting is great, but take the time to get out there and, and get to know the area. Um, that's really key is just getting to know the area that you're hunting. Yeah. I mean, I imagine a lot of these questions too are coming from guys who just don't have the opportunity. Maybe it's that newer guy who's new to bear hunting period, looking to do an out-of-state hunt, and he's just trying to piece together, how do I pull up Google Earth on X and feel like I'm at least headed generally in the right direction? If if I was a new guy trying to, I mean, and this, say, say I'm from back east and I want to do a Western hunt and I'm looking for bear area, um, but, you know, pay attention to creeks um little creek bottoms uh, any sort of draws that type of stuff because you know usually where there's there's water there's going to be brush and there's going to be food so and it's cooler down in there too and bears like cooler spots especially in in the late summer early fall when it's still hot out i always tell people hey you know put on a couple of sweaters and go walk outside and mow your lawn or something and then head into the woods where it's actually shaded and tell me which is better. I mean, neither are great, but you're going to be hanging out in the woods where it's shaded and cooler. Um, as an example of what a bear has to go through. So, you know, pay attention to those, those water sources, little swamp edges. Um, I like, yeah, I like swamp. Swamp edges are pretty cool because there's, again, there's water, there's food, there's shoots, there's all sorts of stuff to get into in swamps. Um, 
but yeah, creek bottoms are important. Drainages, pay attention to drainages. I'm going to piece together a few questions that came through from listeners um, that basically have to do with timing. So the one question is an example says first time bear hunter tips for locating them. And how does it change for morning, midday, and evening? Another guy wrote in uh, and similarly said, what time of day are bears most active in the spring? I feel like I've heard so much conflicting information about this. Um, And then kind of finally, maybe this helps answer the question as well. Do spring bears have patterns or movements of behavior or is it more random? So can you kind of maybe talk a bit about patterns, time of day, where you may be looking differently or how you're approaching things differently, morning, midday, evening, that type of thing? Yeah. Um, So in the spring, in the spring, I think they're kind of almost busy, not a hundred percent of the time, but they seem to be kind of busy throughout the day. Um, in the fall, I'd like to hunt in the mornings and in the evenings. To me, that is when they are the most active, um, especially the early fall. Now, as fall progresses, they get more and more desperate for food, and they're more and more active throughout, still looking. But me personally, I like mornings and, and evenings. In the spring, um, I like to hunt kind of all day. I mean, I'll hunt all day too in the fall, but I, I feel like uh, I feel like they're, they're busier during midday in the spring than they are midday in the early fall because it's so hot still in the spring. It's not all that hot yet. And so I feel like they're going after those, um, green shoots and whatnot a lot more, um, than they would if it was, you know, it's only 45, 50 degrees out in, compared to, you know, 75, 80, 85. Um, so yeah, as far as, let me think what was the other question we had going on here as far as uh patterns go uh, the, the the pattern i stick with is bears are looking for food and so i need to find the food that they're eating and 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 bear sign to me that's the pattern um the other pattern that i could think of would be you know during the the bear rut when they and it's not really a pattern it's more of a more of a habit or a, um, an action that they have, they're going to be cruising, looking for receptive females. Um, and so to me, it's not like, it's not necessarily like a, a white tailed deer that comes out and feeds in a cornfield and then, you know, beds down and it's almost like clockwork. Um, to me, bear are a lot more random and they kind of go where the food is and wherever that may be, that's where they're headed and provided they're not being pressured or pushed out by another bear or something to that effect. Um, so they're, they're a different animal compared to hunting, um, deer. I think they're more random. Um, I don't think they have necessarily now they do have, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll make little bed, uh, bear beds, but I don't think they use them as, as often as like a deer bed. You know, lots of times you can, you can pinpoint where a deer beds almost all the time, or at least a couple of his beds and bear, um, just, I think due to their nature, they don't really have select bear beds that they settle down in all the time They because they move so much. Um, so I hope that kind of answers some of those questions. Yeah, for sure. That's helpful. Um, 
A question that came in was, what tips do you have for judging the age and or size of black bears? And that guy went on to say, it seems like a lot of guys run into quote unquote ground shrinkage after shooting one. So um, yeah, any tips on judging, especially, you know, as you're glassing, right? You're spotting a bear. It's like, do I want to pursue that? Is it a good bear? How big is it? How old is it? Any sort of tips you can provide on that would be great. I, I have been a victim of ground shrinkage. The very first bear <laughs> I shot. I, I saw the bear and it was like the first bear I'd seen in the wild. And I shot it and I, I was like, Oh dad, you know, I called him on the radio. I'm like, dad, I just, you know, cut this bear. It's, it's huge. I'm going to head down there and head, you know, take care of it. And so he came up to help me and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge bear at all. It was like a, it was a sow, but it was a, you know, mature sow, but she was only, you know, 140 pounds or something like that. She wasn't very big. So ground shrinkage is real. Um, how to avoid that. You know, body language will tell you a lot about a bear, how they, how they walk, how they move. And so I'll spend a lot of time, even in the off season, if you just watch a YouTube video or, you, or bear hunting videos, take the time to watch how a bear moves. Um, mature bear, bigger bear, they got kind of a strut to them. You know, they're walking with their front shoulders kind of swaying. They got a swagger. They, they, they walk like they own the place. Um, and smaller bear they're you know, they walk a little more light footed. They're a little bit more timid. They might be looking behind them a lot, making sure nothing's coming up. Um, the other thing you want to look for, and it's, it's one of the more telltale, telltale signs is the ears. So on a bear, bigger ears mean kind of a smaller bear, smaller ears being a bigger bear so as the bear grows and its head grows the ears kind of get smaller and go out more and more to the, its side um so if the if the bear has tiny ears off to the side of its head um that's usually a good indicator of a mature bear um and now as far as telling them between male and female um you know i always say Male bears, they have kind of broader shoulders. They're bigger up front. They're built more. Um, they're just heavier on the front. And the sows have kind of a bigger butt. Um, but you do, you want to take your time to make sure that, A, you can field judge them decently. And you know, a lot of state website, game websites, they will have um, tips on how to judge uh, bear and, and tell the difference between a black bear and a grizzly, too, because a lot of a lot of places now are having um, grizzlies mixed in with black bears. So that's an important point. You don't want to accidentally shoot a grizzly bear thinking it's a black bear. Cause that would be problematic. Mm -hmm. Remember that black bear come in and all different colors, um, very similar to grizzly bear colors in, in many places. So pay attention to that. Um, and as far as another tip for bears, like, you know, a, a, a sagging stomach that I'm not a lot of room between the stomach and the ground. Um, there's a crease in the middle of the forehead, like a muscle crease that they'll develop as they get older and heavier too. Uh, it really just, it comes down to, to observation and, and watching as best you can um, and just learning their body movements and, and how they're built. Um, they're tough to judge. But with practice and with knowledge, you can you can definitely increase your odds of harvesting a mature boar and not a immature sow.
Uh, there's a question on shot placement. This guy said specifically, I've heard high shoulder is recommended, but I've also heard guys advocating for shooting the middle of the middle. Um, it's probably worth pointing out any differences you'd also recommend on maybe bow versus rifle, but just some suggestions and considerations for shot placement on bears. So when I, when I talk to people about bear hunting, shot placement on bears specifically, you know, lots of times they're, they're a deer hunter and, you know, I, I relate it to if I have on a tight t-shirt, you can see the outline of my body pretty easy. If I have on a big fluffy sweater, you're not going to see the outline of my body that easy. It probably hides things. And at my age, I'm thankful for that. Um, <laughs> with bear, like with deer, they have on that, they have on that tight t-shirt. They have on a hide that's very smooth and outlines their body pretty easy. And you can see muscle definition and stuff like that with bear, especially in the early spring or late fall, their hair might be three, four inches long. And, and so they're wearing like a big sweater and it's, it hides where their actual body is. And so sometimes people will misjudge and they will shoot too far back or too low. Um, you know, thinking that they're hitting the sweet spot in reality, they're making a poor shot on the animal. So I've heard a lot of guides say, you know, hit for the shoulder to break the shoulder because that way the bear can't really go anywhere. I don't like necessarily shoulder shots. Um, I, I, I was raised on taking shoulder shots for deer and stuff like that. But as I've gotten older, I realized that that kind of wastes a lot of meat. I go kind of right behind the shoulder. Um, and for bear, I wait till they are broadside. And then that shoulder that is facing you, you wait for that foot to be going forward. And what that does is kind of opens up their vitals a little bit better. It, it moves that shoulder blade away from um, their vitals and it kind of opens that up. And so I always tell people to kind of aim for what I call the armpit. Um, it's just kind of behind the shoulder, um, but a little bit lower than what you would on a deer. Uh, but yeah, middle of the middle is, is also a good thing. Um, but, you know, pay attention and adjust for, you know, mentally keep in mind that the bear has on like a sweater. It's not like a deer. Um, where that hide is real smooth. So it, it's, it's easy to misplace that shot. I aim for the armpit personally, what I call the armpit. Um, I guess it's a little bit lower than where I would shoot on a, on a deer. Um, and I've, I've had good luck with that personally. Any differences or does that apply to both rifle and then bow in your experience? Kind of the same for me. Uh, most of the time I'm using a rifle. I've used a bow a few times for bear. Uh, but you know, if, if I'm shooting at a bear, I would definitely try to miss the shoulder blade with the, with an arrow. Sure. I would want to go behind it, um, just for better penetration. You know, bear, bear got that thick hide and that's going to take away some of that energy and they got thick muscular shoulders and tough bone. You know, they're just a, they're a thicker creature than, than deer. Um, and they're tough, man, they're tough. So for the inexperienced bear hunters, if you take a shot and, and you walk over there and you're seeing blood and you're falling it for a little bit, and the blood goes away. Um, don't give up. It's very, very common for a bear, the fat on the bear to kind of plug that hole 
uh, and the hair and stuff to kind of block that wound. They don't bleed as as uh, obvious sometimes as a deer or an elk will. Because once again, you know, a deer or elk, they have that that smooth coat on. And that's, that's difficult to kind of plug up. They're not as fat as a bear is. A bear's got fat and long hide and, you know, the, it's easier to plug that wound. So um, it's real important that if you take a shot on a bear that you spend time, if you lose blood, that you take a lot of time and, and really search for that bear. Um, the, you know, they're known to, once they're wounded like that, that or, or if they're heading off dying somewhere, they'll hide like a tick. I mean, they, they'll go under a log or into a hole or something like that. So don't give up. Um, you very well could have killed that bear. Don't get discouraged. Take, a, take your time and, and search for it. Uh, let's talk a bit about meat. We touched earlier differences on fall, spring. Sounds like uh, for your experience, your area is not too much. Obviously, as you said, that could change for Alaska. Um, we had a question. A guy wrote, I would love to hunt bears, but I'm not a fan of the bear meat I've tried. Any suggestions for making it more edible? To me, it sounds like this guy has maybe tried some bears from other folks. He's wanting to get into bear hunting, but wants to uh, hunt bears and make good use of the meat. Uh, And then similar lines, we had several questions on some of your favorite black bear recipes. So let's touch on meat, you know, maybe meat care tips, your preparation tips for bears specifically, or any favorite recipes. So there's like a whole subculture of of people who use bear fat and they render it for anywhere to make candles, uh, to, to deep fry oil, to make in pies with it. I hear it's very, very good in pies and biscuits and stuff like that. Uh, I know like stealthy hunter, <laughs> excuse me, stealthy hunter. He does a lot of that and you can go on meat eater. And they, they focus in on a lot of that. Me personally, um, I like a bear roast and I, uh, for, for new people, um, if you're not going to use the fat, don't cook the meat with the fat on it. So bear meat isn't marbled in like beef. The, the fat isn't marbled into the meat. It's layered. So trim off that layer of fat and you can either save it um, and try to render it and, and use it for things or you can discard it. Um, but when you cook it, uh, you want that fat off of there. It's very, very greasy. It's like putting your hand basically inside of a thing of Crisco and then trying to work with that um so when i cook meat for uh bear and you want to cook bear meat thoroughly by the way because they can have trichinosis so don't cook it rare you want it cooked um i will do like a roast i like bear roasts i like bear fajitas i'm I'm a fairly simplistic um cook uh kind of a meat and potatoes guy i keep it kind of simple but what i really like with bear too is i will take it um, to my butcher, my local butcher, I grew up with his daughters and I will have him make summer sausage and pep sticks out of it. And actually that and breakfast sausage, is probably my favorite thing. Um, the breakfast sausage he makes out of it doesn't hurt my stomach. Whereas if I buy like a Jimmy Dean's or something like that, that type of stuff, I have a hard time eating. It hurts my stomach. Um, and the summer sausage and pep sticks are great too, because they, they're, they're a good snack and you can bring it to parties and stuff and also introduce people to bear who might not have any sort of idea what it tastes like or that you can even, you know, eat bear. So family reunions or holiday parties, friends parties, whatever it may be, I'll bring some summer sausage and cheese and crackers and cut that up and 
I'll tell people beforehand too, that way they're not offended, but I'll be like, Hey, this is bear. And if you want to try it, you know, you might like it. And I have yet to receive a uh, negative response to summer sausage from bear. Um, so yeah, summer sausage is a great way to do it. And you know, my teenage son, he likes it too. It's a quick snack. Um, and so we, we, we get a lot of bear summer sausage and that's how kind of we go through it. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, the roast when you're cooking that, what's your kind of method for cooking an actual roast? So I, I used to be, uh, you know, I would just throw it in a crock pot and throw vegetables around it and call it good. But I, I've learned that it's, it's kind of important to, um, maybe roll it in and flour or something to that effect and then sear it on all sides and then put it in the crock pot and, uh, you know, watching videos and whatnot about it, that kind of helps keep the moisture inside the roast. So it doesn't get so, uh, dry, um, uh, or stringy, you know? Mm. Um, so if you're going to do a roast, try to sear it on all sides. Um, you know, just, just brown it basically on, on the sides, throw it in there and then cook it on slow for, you know, six hours, depending on, on the weight of the roast. And I, I like to use potatoes and carrots and onions, and it's just a simplistic way um, and an, in an easy way to enjoy your game meat. Um, and I do that with deer and elk too, but uh, I think I like it. as far as meat that I'm going to prepare roasts uh, from, uh, excuse me, meat that I'm going to prepare from a bear roasts are probably my, my favorite way of doing it. Had numerous questions on any tips for skinning and also then saving slash preparing the hide. Um, some of those were also specific to, you know, those spring, early summer hunts that may be warmer, had questions to salt or not salt a hide. Um, so any, yeah, again, kind of broad there on both the skinning aspect for maybe folks who are newer to bears from say elk or deer, um, as well as then hide care in the field uh, to prepare it for tanning or what have you. Well, it's a, it's another whole podcast right here. I know, right? Um, <laughs> so, so like bear hides, in my opinion, they they and the hair. It really seems to dull knives quickly compared to deer or elk. I don't know why; it just seems to. So, you want to have a little sharpener with you, or if you have like a Havilon, you know, knife, have some of those extra blades with you. Um, I always tell people with deer or elk or bear, um, take your time. You don't want to slip and cut yourself or get, you know, thirsty and, and ragged and tired. And that's when you end up making mistakes. So with, with me, I have to remind myself, Hey, you know, I've got some time. If I'm thirsty, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to rehydrate. So that's important. Um, I was skinning a, my brother's bear once that I, I found while I was tracking for him and it was like a hot day and I was in super tall brush and blackberries everywhere and mosquitoes were eating me alive. And I was just trying to get done with it. And I slipped and I fell back on a log that was holding my knife. But luckily the knife was laying flat and not up or something like that. Cause it, it you know, if I would have got cut, it would have been a problem because I was back there a ways. So, um, if you're new to, to bear hunting too, um, take the time to watch videos online or to, or to read. I have step-by-step -step in my book too, um, on how to skin bear. They're different than deer, obviously, just because their anatomy is different. Um, I talk about, you know, you don't want to cut the pads. You want to start at the bottom of the bottom center of the pad and work all the way down the arm to the center of the chest. 
do that for the other arm or the other leg. And then at the bottom of the back feet, you want to do the, the, from the center of the, the bottom center of the pad all the way to the anus. And then you connect that vertical cut, but you know, it's, it's difficult to describe on a podcast, but it's easier to watch on YouTube or something like that, or, or in the book step-by-step. Step. So before you get a bear, make sure that you're familiar with that. Don't go, I'm going to go bear hunting, go out there, shoot a bear, and then realize, oh, I have no idea how to handle this thing. It's important to know how to handle it prior. Um, and for people who are new too, don't worry about um, skinning out the, the feet. Um, you know, there, there's a risk there on, on either of those legs, you can just kind of pop that wrist off and leave the, the bones and whatnot attached into that foot. Don't cut that off. And your taxidermist can take care of the rest of that. Cause it's kind of delicate, not delicate, but it's intricate in there. There's a lot of little bones. You got to cut the knuckle off where the claws are. Um, there's a lot of work in those. So if you're unfamiliar with something with that, save it for the taxidermist. And the same goes for the head. Um, you can leave the skull attached inside of the, the hide um, and let the taxidermist skin out the face. Uh, what I wouldn't suggest is, especially on a hot day, uh, once you have the hide off, rolling that up and then having the head on the inside of the, of the ball of hair, you want the head on the outside because the, the head is going to be still warm. It's, still, it's not going to lose heat as fast as the rest of it. And so it's not uncommon for people to ball all that up and then hike out a couple miles or whatever on a 75, 80 degree day. And you can start losing hair in there because of that, that heat from that head. So you want that head to cool. Um, I never salt my hides because by the time I get back to my house, I either throw it right in the freezer or it's going right to my taxidermist to get it tanned. And then he takes care of that. Um, you want to keep it dry and you want to keep it as clean as possible. I know that can be difficult. Uh, the bear I shot last summer died right in a sandy Creek bottom. And that was a nightmare because there was, it was like a sandbox. I mean, it was like almost impossible to try to keep that thing clean. And my poor taxidermist, I told him to charge me extra, but, um, <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, don't, don't salt it. And, and when you get back to your truck, um, don't, throw it in the back of your truck or in a garbage bag and drive around for a couple hours showing all your buddies, take care of it right away. Um, the sooner, the better, uh, that black plastic bag and, and driving around in a truck, it's just getting beat with heat or the sun, depending on the weather. Um, you know, and, and know your limitations. So I, I tell people, to me, hides are important. To me, it's it's almost sacrilege to leave a bear hide. Even if it's rubbed out, I'll still probably take a hide for something. Um, it's important to know your limits. So if if I'm like myself, 46, and I don't work out necessarily every day, I'm not going to go 10 miles back on a 90-degree day and shoot a bear and think I'm going to get it out in one trip. That's not happening. Not for me. Um, but if you know I'm 20, I might be able to do that. But you want to take into account the weather and the distance so you don't spoil the meat and so you don't spoil the hide you know you want to keep that meat dry and cool just like with a deer you know you want to get in game sacks and hang it up so the air can move around it um, on bigger hams and stuff like that if you're going to leave the bone in sometimes you might want to do a cut right down the ham itself so it splices open and, and can can cool down so it's not uh, just up against the bone um, 
yeah, yeah, just get it taken care of. Um, and, and learn online prior to it. That's the big, you know, that's, that's a big thing is just taking the time to learn how to care for the hide prior to getting out there. It's different than a deer, but again, like I say, my, my book step-by-step, but, uh, YouTube has videos too. So the tail, when you get down to the tail, you want to split that tail all the way to the end. Don't leave a little teeny pocket or nothing. And when I say split the tail, so the bear's on its back and the tail's kind of upside down facing you, basically. You want to take that knife and go all the way down that bone. If you leave a little teeny pocket at the bottom of that tail, that will capture fluid and whatnot when they are tanning it. And that will um, slip some of that hair off there. You want it all the way cut flat, no pocket. So, okay. And that's, that's the end of that. <laughs> good note good note well hopefully a lot of listeners are going to put uh put that information to good use this spring this summer this fall on bear hunts um we covered a lot we jumped around we didn't you know necessarily go deep on every topic but i feel like we answered a lot of the questions that kept coming up and then i know that there's a lot more in your books so we'll leave a link to those in the show description if guys want to pick those up and check out more information but Thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Douglas, and sharing the knowledge with us. No problem. It's been my pleasure. Uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram too. I'm Bows and Bears, B-O-Z-E and Bears on Instagram is my user handle. So feel free to check that out. And I've got uh, that Predator Call app too. And so I, if oh, you're I wasn't aware of that, what is that? Um, if you're interested in, in Predator Calling, um, there's recordings of me actually predator calling that you can get. And it's, it's called the uh, ultimate predator calls app and it's available for uh, Android and iOS uh, phones. And you can push that sound to a Bluetooth speaker. And so it's, it's four 99. Uh, there's like 15 different sets, I think. And it's a combination of um, like rabbit distress and, and coyote howls and all sorts of stuff. Um, but it's a cheap way for people to get into predator calling who might not feel comfortable calling themselves and who don't want to spend a couple hundred dollars on an e-caller. So if you already have a Bluetooth speaker, it's a, you know, cost of a cup of coffee and you're off and running. So you can check that out. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. You bet. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. If you have a bear hunting question that we didn't cover in this show, look for the speak pipe link in the show description to leave us your question and we can cover that on a future episode. While you're in that show description, be sure to check out Doug's books and a lot more resources that are there, which were discussed in this show. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button so that you receive future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.